I love it when that kid sings. She's still a kid to me. Uh, thanks, Kenley. Uh, I, I was told that my mic didn't work online, and so I'm going to one-arm it today. It uh, doesn't mean anything's going to be shorter. It just means I can't use my hands when I talk, and so that's going to be a little bit of a challenge for me. Uh, if you know me, I, if you've ever seen me driving through town, uh, I'm normally not pointing at people. I'm just talking with my hands, and Jessica tells me all the time, you've got to keep your hands down because I'll talk about, so, oh, yeah, this, and it looks like I'm pointing to people who look at me real weird and wave, and so I'll, uh, I'll get through this. Listen, we're through our uh, week number, I think this is number four of our fall series, Faith Through Love, and we've been walking through uh, the book of Galatians and kind of working our way through uh, what it means to actually live out and apply what God's Word says. And I know that maybe for the past three Sundays, maybe you're thinking uh, a lot like me, like, where's the love, right? We've been talking a lot about faith, and we've been talking a lot about the law, and we've been talking about, you know, kind of like what you believe, and, and like, you know, we left you last week with how could you, right? Uh, we, we figured out who we were, and then in light of who we were, how could we go over, go back to that? We looked at living kind of hypocritical lifestyles about saying that we believe one thing, but actually living out another, and it's all based around, you know, this faith that we hold so close to, and, and we're just wondering, like, Okay, we got a lot of faith stuff, but where's all the good love stuff? Well, uh, thankfully, Paul makes that transition for us in the book of Galatians, and it's really our focal passage for this whole series. This is kind of the, the hinge to the whole book. If you're reading through Galatians, it's not very long. I, I, I kind of encourage you to do that. Uh, if you read through it, the first part of it, the, really the first uh, three quarters of it, is all about faith. And then this one statement, Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And so this one statement, I believe, he turns the whole corner of the book and really the whole tenor of the letter to the Galatians to kind of push us to this practical application of love. And that's the transition that we're going to make today. So this week, uh, we're going to take a break. Next week, we're going to talk about something different. And then uh, our last week will be all about love and how do we actually apply that and kind of get that into uh, the, the context of our life. We left last week talking about being heirs of the kingdom, if you remember that, right? We talked about how we are heirs and understanding who we were, how could we ever go back to living a lifestyle that didn't uh, really kind of just feed into this idea that who we are in him. And then he tells uh, the Galatian churches that he, he, would, he wishes that he could go back and visit them, right? If you just keep reading through the rest of chapter 4, uh, he's saying, listen, I wish I could come back to you guys, kind of almost like, uh, I wish I could go back and straighten you guys out, right? It's this idea of I want to come back and, and kind of get you guys back on the right track. And then he specifically addresses those who want to kind of hold tight to these Jewish customs, right? He he gives them an, a really great history illustration of Abraham and the, and Abraham's descendants through either Ishmael or uh, Isaac. We don't have time to get through all of that. I encourage you to read that uh, later on this week. And then he summarizes his whole argument, the whole argument of faith and law, and it all comes down to chapter 5, verse 4 through 6, and it says this, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, saying, listen, you guys, you guys who are trying to do this all by law, man, you've missed it. You've missed the whole boat. Not only have you missed the boat, you've fallen from the grace that's given you. Like, God came and lavished you with all this great grace that you have been taking for granted, and you just almost turn your back on it. He says, but by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. He's going, listen, the only thing that we really have is faith. And this faith is the anchor to everything that we hope for, right? This righteousness that we want. What's, what's the song? Uh, by Jesus' blood and righteousness, right? This, 
what's the song, TJ? You know that. We sing it all the time. I don't know the words to the songs. I can't remember lyrics either. Huh? Brandy saying it. What? Cornerstone. We just sang it. Did we just sing it? Okay, well, that tells you how much I paid attention. Okay? So it's just, listen, just how the head works. Okay? That's why TJ's just laughing back there in the back. Okay? The reality is, is that we have this hope. And it's the hope that we hold on to. Like, listen, all that we want, all that we aspire to, it's not like we're going to get to heaven and God's going to look at us and go, oh, you know what? You came to church almost every Sunday and you taught a Sunday school class and you did this and you did this. You did a great job. I guess I'll let you in. He's going to look at us and say, did you have Jesus? We go, yeah. He said, that's all you need. And now you get to go in. That's the whole point. That's the hope that we hold to. That's where our righteousness sets, right? He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. He says, listen, whether you're following the law or not following it, it doesn't matter. It's all about faith. And then he says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Church, if we could get anything out of this morning, just kind of bracket off those verses and just say, these are the things that matter most. He puts this whole argument, this whole disagreement between the Galatian churches and really, I believe, this inappropriate version of our faith and our world that we live out to either A, you, you have to do these other things outside of true authentic faith in Jesus to be accepted in him, or B, you can just do whatever you want and still claim to have authentic faith. He said, you can't do either one of those two things. This is an all or nothing. None of the, none of the extra stuff matters. It's, it's the only thing that counts is faith, but you've got to have faith that's real and genuine. You can't just do whatever you want to do because all that stuff kind of matters, right? And so he's kind of given this incredible duality argument here that's so interesting. He says what's so great about this, this whole statement of his is this whole faith expressing itself through love is that it's a dual purpose statement. In that, it means faith expressing its love, itself through love to God, right? That everything that we do, that gets down to it, is that we are to love the creator who loved us, who purposed us, who gave us a, 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 a heart for him and gave us this desire to, to seek after him. And the fact that he actually died for us should be enough that, that everything that we do should be faith expressing its love to God, right? We got we to gotta express it to him, this right, true, acceptable, genuine faith to him should be expressed through love to him, through obedience to him, through, through really diving into what he has to surrender, to sacrifice, to a devotion to his will and his way and his standard and his wants, right? This is what the mantra of the Jewish lifestyle was all about, right? This is the Shema. This is what they repeated over and over and over again, the prayer that they prayed over and over. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Right? This, was, this was something that they talked about all the time. Right? This is Deuteronomy chapter 6, and, and this is a prayer that the, that the Jewish people prayed all the time. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And, and we see this and we go, man, this is, this is faith expressing itself through love to God. That's what we should be doing. But Paul also says that this dual statement, it also means that we should be expressing love to others. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love to others. And you go, man, okay, how can you make that jump? How can you go from, from love to God to love to others? Because it's real easy. Jesus did, right? When, when they talked to Jesus in John chapter 13, verse 34, he says this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you should love 
one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. This, this one statement, everybody who was around Jesus at that moment should have run, like, right, run for their lives. When Jesus says, a new command I give you, because the only person who can give commands was God, who gave them to Moses on the mountain, right? And so when Jesus shows up and says, I'm giving you a new command, that essentially equated Jesus with God. And every Jewish person in that circle should have ran for their life going, man, God is going to like send lightning bolts down. That's not okay. You can't do that. But Jesus said it like that on purpose because he, he wanted them to equate him with God. I'm giving you this command because the only person who can give commands is God. And guess what? I am he, right? And so he says, love one another. We fast forward the story about 20 years and Paul writes to the Galatian churches and says the only thing that faith counts is faith expressing itself through love. And everyone knew this is what Jesus was talking about. Loving God and loving others. So this morning we're going to look at love. We're going to see how Paul has to say about it and what it really means and what it communi- really communicates to our faith. And I'm just going to tell you from the beginning, this is going to be hard. Like you think week two was hard when we talked about hypocrisy and saying one thing and living another one. This one's going to really kind of hit us on every level, right? We're going to move past some superficial expressions of love to people around us, and we're really going to even move past some infant expressions of love to God. We've got to get into the real parts of us. So let's here we go. We've got your Bible open, Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 13, and this is really where it starts to hit us. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. So there's a lot here. And I'm just going to ask Mark, if you'll just leave this verse on the screen because we're just going to work through it part by part uh, and, and really kind of break this down to see what it means in our life. The first thing he says is you were called to be free. In other words, you're not bound by the law, right? We've, we've talked a lot about faith and law in the front half of this, and he's saying, listen, you're called to be free. And too many people are convinced that Christianity is more about the thou shalls and thou shall nots than it is about freedom. And Paul's clearly saying here, listen, this, it's not about all the thou shalls and thou shall nots. It's about freedom. You who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus are free. But if you go backwards, just a few verses at the beginning of chapter 5, Paul says this, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. It's for the very reason of freedom that you have freedom. He's reestablishing that foundational truth saying, listen, faith is about freedom. Freedom to serve with a willing heart, freedom to extend grace from gratefulness of the grace that you've already received, freedom to forgive like you've already been forgiven. But too often, church, we take this freedom and we abuse it and we manipulate it into this idea of freedom to do whatever we want. Ah, we can do whatever we want. Free to drink. I'm free to flirt. I'm free to look. I'm free to say. I'm free to act. I'm free to do whatever I want because I'm free. And to that I would say, yes and no, right? Yeah, you, 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 can, you can do that if you want to, but when you realize, when you become to the understanding of what that freedom cost, then I ask you the same question I asked you last week, how could you? 
Right? How could you manipulate that freedom into something that's self-serving when it costs so much? Paul says, do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. In other words, don't use your salvation as your get-out-of-hell-free card. Don't use this, this salvation as an excuse to live life however you want because you've got this insurance, this fallback right, of salvation. I can do this if all these other things don't work out. And the reality is 1 Corinthians 10, 23, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Paul says this to the church in Corinth, listen, you can do whatever you want. This freedom is, is permissible, but it doesn't mean it's beneficial. Some of that, some of y'all need to make that your Shema. That, that's what you need to make that. You need to make that your model, something that you pray over and over and over again. It's beneficial. Is it beneficial? It's permissible, but it may not be beneficial. I can do whatever, but it doesn't mean that it's good for me. You have freedom. It's like somebody who literally risks their whole life to give you something, and you take it, and you look at it, and you go, eh, and you just throw it away. I'm reminded of Second uh, Samuel chapter 23, the story of David and his mighty men. If, you've, if you know anything about Old Testament, man, if you don't read your Old Testament, you should because it's so good. I, I know I talk a lot about the Old Testament because I just have this deep love for it. It's so, so good. And if you get into the story of David and, and how God kind of anointed David as king and, and he kind of rises up and he does all things, he makes all his mistakes, right? He does all the dumb things that we know David did and then he kind of comes back at the end of his life and is really living like he's supposed to. Well, at the end of his life, in 2 Samuel 23, there's a story about David and his mighty men. And if you're a man, then you need to read these chapters because it's so cool, these guys and what all they did. You know, one of them talks about getting in a pit with, on a snowy day with a lion. And another one talks about how he killed all these people with a spear. It's just really incredible stories through that. Well, David is currently, the, the Israelites are fighting the Philistines again, right? Because that's what they do through the entire Old Testament. They're fighting the Philistines and David is in this cave in and he's having one of these old man moments. You old men know what I'm talking about. You can almost agree with this. One of these reminiscent moments of, oh, man, I remember when I was a kid. And I got to drink from the well at Bethlehem. And I don't know if you, some of you guys have lived in town your whole life. I, I, we, when I grew up, I lived in the boot hill of Missouri. It's this little bitty town. And my grandparents didn't live in town. They lived in the farm, right? And in the farm, they had well water. And well water has just this specific taste, right? Y'all who have well water right now may know, yeah, I know what that tastes like, uh, minerals, right? It tastes like the earth. And, and so I, I remember my grandparents' well water and the taste of that. And like, I would drink a gallon of it right now. And that's the kind of moment that David is having in this moment. He's just reminiscing. He's thinking about, oh, like it used to be. And he says it out loud, apparently, because three of these men kind of get together and go, hey, listen king wants a drink we're gonna go get it and so they leave the cave and they kind of break through enemy lines and they sneak back behind where all the Philistines are encamped and they get to the well and they draw some water out of it and they bring it back to uh to David and when they bring it back there's just this incredible moment he he didn't drink it and the first time I read that as a teenager, I was like, what a jerk, right? You asked these guys for something, they went and did it, and then they came back and he didn't even drink it. But the more you study that, he couldn't drink it. He, he basically says, this guy's, you guys risked your life for this. And it, it's too costly for me to drink. And so he pours it out. He said, I can't, can't drink something so costly that could be used as an offering to God. 
And so church, can I just say this? With all your freedom and all your permissibles but not beneficials, your life is too costly to waste when it can be used as an offering to God. Yeah, you have freedom to do whatever you wanna do. These guys had freedom to go and get it and come back and David could have drank it if he wants to but he said, you know what, that costs too much. I can't do that. I can offer this as an offering to God and that's the way we're supposed to see our lives and that's the way we're supposed to see our freedoms in all reality that it costs too much. The freedom that I have costs too much for me to waste it. It's gotta be an offering to God. Paul says, don't use your freedoms to dissolve the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Instead of using your freedom for these selfish reasons, we're supposed to actually serve each other? Yeah. I mean, we're supposed to extend grace and forgiveness and mercy and love people and support people. And, and even if we don't agree with them, still serve them? Yeah. That's what love looks like. And then he hits us right in the mouth, verse 15, the very end of that. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. These words, biting, devouring, and destroying, these are, these are words that, that, uh, that in, in the Greek language they use to talk about wild dogs that would literally fight each other and bite and tear flesh until either one or both of them die. And so Paul is, is using very vivid imagery to get his point across. When we don't love and we're biting, we're tearing at each other and we're destroying each other. But we know this, right? We do this in everyday life. Sometimes, listen, we do this in our marriages. Well, he said this, I'm gonna say this, I'll show you. Don't you say that, I'll snap right back. I'll, you say that, I'll say this. We, we do this all the time. If you're not gonna do this, well, I'm not gonna do that for you. Listen, there's a, there's a fantastic book, and this, I'm not about this, but this is such a good book, and I, I tell everybody that I'm marrying uh, to read this book, and I'll tell you, every one of you, it's called The Five Love Languages. A lot of you probably already read it. Gary Chapman wrote it years ago. It's a great book about how we, how we love and how we express love and how we receive love. He talks about our love tank being filled up and oftentimes we're making withdrawals from our love tank, filling other, other people's, but nobody's making deposits into ours, right? And a lot of us read that and we connect with that. We're like, yeah, that's awesome. And then he says, we gotta, our responsibility is to, to learn the love language of our spouse because we're speaking different languages. Maybe, and he breaks it down into five different ones, uh, gifts, serving, uh, physical touch, words of affirmation, and quality time, okay? And so these five different love languages, maybe I am words of affirmation, uh, but my wife is uh, quality time. And so I need to be able to, I, you know, she may be telling me that she's proud of me and that she's, you know, proud of the man that I'm the leader I am and all this kind of stuff, that's great. But if all I'm doing is saying the same thing back to her, well, I'm proud of you, I love you, and I'm so happy of who you are, she's not feeling that. She's like, listen, I, I appreciate all that, but I just want you to spend some time with me, right? And some of y'all understand this dynamic, right? You gotta learn to, to speak the right language. But whenever I'm spending time with her, she's just like, this is awesome. This is a great thing. That's the love language. And so I gotta learn how to speak hers and she's gotta learn how to speak mine. But there's a chapter in that book that he didn't put in. And I'm not an author and I'm not a, a book critic by any means. Uh, but if I, were, if I were writing this one, I'd have to write an extra chapter into it. Because what we do is we turn that love language into a, uh, a this for that argument. Well, if you're not fulfilling my love language, I'm not gonna fulfill yours. If you're not uh, 
serving me, then I'm not going to give you words of affirmation. If you're not uh, spending quality time with me, then you're not getting physical touch. If you're not doing this, then you're not doing that. Because what we do is we take love and we manipulate it. We start biting and devouring and destroying each other. That's the only part of that book that I go, man, I wish you would have addressed that because there's too many people that see that and go, if you're not doing for me, I'm not doing for you. And we, we bite and we devour and we destroy each other in our marriages. We do this in our relationships, right? How many of you have a friend or what you would probably even say an ex-friend that you just devoured each other? That something got said and something got crossways and the next thing you know, you're just bite for bite for bite for bite. And it's real easy, listen, it's real easy to talk about them and to say that it's probably things like jealousy or insecurity that caused that relationship to crumble, but the reality is it just may have been a very hard time in life where, where either you or they were, were just kind of having their whole world turned upside down and things were crumbling and falling apart and your knee-jerk reaction is to bite whoever is closest and it just happened to be you or them. And your whole relationship has been destroyed because we've bitten at each other. Next week, uh, I'm going to talk about a very sensitive subject next week. I'm excited for it. We're going to talk about politics and religion next week. It's going to be a lot of fun, okay? And a lot of you go, yeah, right. I'll skip this one and watch online, right? But the reality is, is there any other arena in our culture where biting and devouring and destroying is more, more just present than political conversations, right? And listen, I'm not talking about politicians. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about church folks, Christians, who when you disagree with someone or their stance, you just destroy them and their character and who they are and who God's created them to be. You've, you've just completely written them out. Next week's going to be good. It's going, to be, it's going to be hard, but it's going to be really good. I'm excited about it. I'm not trying to steal thunder from it. But the reality is we understand this idea of devouring and biting and destroying each other. We have to stop doing this in every relationship that we have. As a matter of fact, Paul would say if you're truly loving people, you can't do this. You, you just actually, you, if, you're, if you're loving your spouse, you wouldn't do that to them, right? You'd serve them. If you were loving your friends and your family, you wouldn't compete. You'd have compassion. And if you were loving Jesus, you couldn't destroy someone just because you disagree with them and their opinions and their thoughts and their politics. You still love them because Jesus loves them just as much as he loves you. Church, we can't. Jesus didn't say love those who are easy to love or love those who agree with you. He said love one another. And by this, People will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Great. We read that and say, how, right? That's the question that we want to ask each other. It's all right, we get it. We're supposed to love. We're supposed to love our spouses. and We're supposed to love our friends and family. We're supposed to love people we disagree with. But how they're so hard to love, Right? Y'all have been in situations like that where you're just like, I don't want to love this person, and I know God's telling me I'm supposed to. How am I supposed to do this? Great. Paul answers that, verse 16, right? Galatians 5, 16 says this. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. It's not that hard. Live by the Spirit that lives inside you. 
that we're supposed, to, we're supposed to yield to the Spirit of God in our life. When we do that, we just naturally love people. We just naturally express that to people. We just naturally stop chasing after things that are so caught up in our sinful desires, right? And we just start expressing love appropriately to each other. He goes on to say that, that these two ideas, that the spirit that lives in us and the sinful nature are in conflict with each other, right? In other words, you can't love well if you're living wrong. Now you can fake it for a little while. All right, we, we've done that before. We slap on the smile. We play the role. Right, whether it's at home with your spouse and kids or if it's at church or if it's in your office or whatever, you can fake it for a little while and then, then your true colors will start kind of shining through a little bit, right? Then, then that sinful nature will begin to show. Jesus says it like this, Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, your heart will there be also. I wanted to preach, I mean, I've prayed about this for a long time. I've wanted to preach a series for years entitled your heart is showing because where your heart is there or where your treasure is there your heart will be also and it's like listen y'all don't y'all don't understand it's different up here okay because there's so many things that like I want to say or things that I want to preach through and God's like no you haven't figured that one out yet and I'm like I know but it's so good and he's like yeah we'll live it first and then I'll let you preach it so that may be one of the reasons why I haven't been able to do that but the reality is it's this idea that that we should be loving everybody and that this can't be a fake, disingenuous, going through the motions, check off the boxes kind of love. It's got to be a real, genuine, heartfelt love for people. And I think that's where we miss it, if we're honest. I think that's where we really struggle is that we, we just, well, we're supposed to do this, so we're going to do it. Well, we're supposed to do that, so we're going to do it. Well, we're supposed to do this, so I'm, I'm doing it. But the reality is, do you, are you doing it because you're, you're supposed to or are you doing it because you genuinely love people? We just, yesterday, uh, we just closed down the clothes closet yesterday. We had a number of people come through. We had a great a group of help there for, for men in our church to help get these out and ladies in our church to help facilitate all of that. And it was great. And, and that ministry survived for 20 years because the people who ran it genuinely had a love for the people that they were helping. Just, they just want to help. They just want to be there. They just want to be a part and, to, and to, to feel a need in their life. Are you doing it because it's just something you're supposed to or are you doing it because you genuinely love? The, this, is, this is the only equation that I can have for this. If the only thing that counts, in Paul's words, is faith expressing itself through love and the way that you show your faith is through your love and the way that you love is through your faith, then, then hear this. If your faith isn't right, then your love's not going to be right. And if your love is not right, then that means your faith is not right. Paul goes on to say some of these sinful nature things, right, in verse 19 through 21. We're not going to read all those, but, but if you read the list, you go, ah, I'm not really struggling with that kind of stuff because you read some of them, and they're like sexual immorality, witchcraft, right? I don't know that any of us are dealing with witchcraft right now. I hope that you're not. If you are, then, uh, then you come see me after service, and I'd love to talk to you about that. But others on that list are a little closer to the vest. Idolatry, hatred, discord, jealousy, drunkenness, fits of rage, selfish ambition, envy. See, those things hit a little closer to home. And know that this is not an exhaustive list, right? He's not trying to list off all the sinful nature things that we struggle with. He's just trying to give a little bit of an idea of, of what's going on and saying, listen, I'm just listing off a few of the many 
sinful nature things that we know about. And, and immediately we think, there it is. There's our list of do's and don'ts, right? There's our list of thou shalt and thou shalt nots again. But really, it's not what Paul's doing. Paul's more just kind of saying what everybody else is thinking. Right? He's just saying, let me just list off some of those because you know what it already is. And we're all reading it going, yeah, been there, done that. I'm familiar. We've met, right? Because we understand those sinful natures because they're a part of who we are. And then incredibly, Paul turns this conversation upward. He hits this over the head with this live well and love well and quit devouring each other and know, uh, you know what you're doing, but since you won't even admit it, I'll say a few of them, right? He just kind of lists them off. And, and then he tells us that our nature is in conflict with the spirit and all that kind of stuff, and we just hang our heads in shame. And we go, we're never going to be able to come back from this. This is who we are. All these things he listed out, that, that's just who we are. There's no way I can live well, much less love well, when I'm dealing with all these different idolatry, hatred, discord, jealousy, drunkenness, fits of rage, selfish ambition, and envy. And then he says, no, 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 don't, don't be defeated. Remember that we've got the Spirit in us, right? We have the Spirit of God living inside of us. And he says, and this, this is what this is going to look like. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23, you guys are familiar with this, but... The fruit of the Spirit is, but, but the evidence of the Spirit of God living in you, the proof that Christ is in your heart is, right? This is, this is a big, you should circle that word, but, okay? This is, I had a, had a seminary professor. He was just a really, uh, really laid back guy. He said he was going to write a book called The Big Butts of the Bible, and this is one of them because he, he kind of hits us with all this hard truth, and it says, but... This is what the fruit of the Spirit is, but this is, this is how God loves us. All this stuff that we are, but, and this is one of them, right? This is a big one, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You guys know this. Or you could probably sing the song from kids' church, right? The fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. We, get, we all know that song. And we can go, oh yeah, we've got these, these, these fruit of the Spirit are all kind of memorized. And, and, and listen, this is, I don't have time to go through all the fruit of the Spirit. This is not a sermon on the fruit of the Spirit. This is a sermon on faith through love. But so church, what he's trying to say is if there's not evidence of these things in your life, then you're not living by the Spirit. If, you're, if there's not evidence of faith, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, then you're not living by the Spirit that lives in you. You're not doing this. So, so we have to ask ourselves this question. If there's no evidence of these things in my life, number one, does the Spirit of God live in me? Does he? If you can't honestly answer that with bold confidence saying, yes, I know that he does, then the Bible says that today's the day of salvation, that you've got to figure that out, that that's the very first thing that happens. There's no, there's no second wave of this. There's no, there's no other move of God. It's just like when you get saved, you get the Spirit, period. And if you go, I don't know that I've got the Spirit. I, there's no evidence of these fruit in my life. I don't know that this is real. If you can't say that, then you've got to figure that out. That's, that's the most important thing. But if the answer to question number one is yes, the Spirit of God live in me, yes, I'm saved. I have, this, I have this incredible relationship with Jesus. Then you have to ask yourself question number two, am I living by the Spirit? Or am I living by the sinful nature? Again, you can't, you can't love well if you're not living well. You can't possess love and possess joy and rest in peace and extend patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness. You can't be faithful 
You can't have self-control if you're not living well, if you're not living by the Spirit. You see why Paul says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. He said this is, a, this is kind of the, 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 it's essential to everything. It's the barometer of your whole life. The only thing that counts it's faith expressing itself through love because you can't do that unless the Spirit of God lives in you. If the Spirit of God's not living in you, then you've got to get to know Jesus. It's the only thing that counts. Here's my last thought, and I'm going to be done. This is really the, Paul's last thought on this whole subject. This is Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. says this, If we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the the Spirit. That phrase, keep in step with the Spirit, bothered me. I, I was just like, what is that? I, did, I don't know. I, just, I saw visions of like horses like prancing around, keeping in step. I, I didn't, I couldn't figure it out. I, I'll be real honest with you. I, I went back to the Greek language. I, I read six different commentaries and I probably read it in 15 different translations of uh, the New Testament. And here's what I've boiled it all down to. If we live by the Spirit, Prove it. Prove it. It's the only, only, only way I could kind of narrow all this stuff down. Just prove it. Move with him. Learn from him. Serve and share and love and forgive like him. If your faith is expressing itself through love, then love well. Prove that your faith is true. Church, how many times do we drop the ball on this? And we say, oh yeah, I'm living by the Spirit. I'm doing this, but I'm not expressing it. There's no evidence of it in my life. I'm full of bitterness and rage and envy and jealousy and discord. I'm full of selfish ambition. All those things on that list that he said were sinful nature things. You go, no, I'm, I'm living by the Spirit, but everything that's coming out is from the flesh. And so I believe that Paul just comes down here and says, if you're, if you're going to live by the Spirit, prove it. Keep a step with him. Do what he does. Learn by him. Live by him. Live by him and love through him. Right? Prove it. And when you do that, listen, it's so great. It's so wonderful the way this all works together. When you do that, when you prove it, you're really not proving anything about yourself. You're proving that God is right. Isn't that cool? That when we, when we live this out and when we live by the Spirit and we keep in step with Him and we do all the things that we're supposed to do, we're not, we're not shining the light back on us in any way possible. We're just proving that God was right. And what better responsibility of a Christian as a Christ follower than to say, you know what, God's right. And I'm going to show you how God is right. I'm going to live it out every day. I'm going to, I'm going to keep in step with him. Not to shine the light back into my life, but to say, you know, this is how good God is because I'm just reflecting who he is. Church, we've got to love well and live well because the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I'm going to ask TJ to come back up here and he's going to lead us in a hymn of invitation. This is an opportunity for you to do business to God and say, you know what, maybe I'm not expressing the right things. Maybe, maybe my life is full of contradictions. Maybe I say one thing but believe another. Maybe I say I believe one thing and live another. Maybe, maybe the sinful nature is kind of dominating right now and I've not been loving God, much less loving other people and I need to get straight. That's your opportunity to handle that. You can do that where you sit. You can do that up here. You can do that with me. I'd love to pray with you. Or maybe you just couldn't answer that question earlier about is the Spirit of God living in me? I don't know. I hope 
That's not an answer you want to go to heaven with, I hope. You want to go to heaven going, I know. I know that I have Jesus. I know that I accepted. I know that I've been saved. I know that the Spirit of God lived in me. You can answer that question today too. I'd love to walk you through what the Bible says about knowing. John said, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. His whole book, his whole letters, they weren't just for hopes. They were for knowledge. They were for that you know that you know that you know. Maybe you just say, I, man, I need, to get, I need to get back in the church. I've been gone for too long. Maybe I've, I've used excuses for too long. It's time for me to kind of join or maybe even just kind of, we, we kind of given the word rededicate or a bad slang in church things, but there's nothing wrong with that. It's coming back and just saying, you know what, I, I, need, to, I need to rededicate my life back to what's most important. I need, to, I need to come back and just kind of offer myself again to God, saying, you know what, I've, I've kind of gotten off path, but I'm yours and you're mine. And I want to make that real again. I want to, I want to make that commitment again. There's nothing wrong with that. If you need to join the church or if you need to be, talk about baptism or anything like that, you, you come talk to me. This is your opportunity to kind of recenter and to apply. God, help me live this out every day. If you need to come talk to me, you come talk to me, let me pray, and then uh, TJ, come on, we stand? Look, can we do that? Look, can we just stand while I pray? Father, we love you, and we thank you for your love for us, and God, we do not take that for granted, and as we've made the transition from faith to love in our discussion this morning, God, I, I pray that love practical and love proven is the heart of everything that we do practical, real-life expressions of the love and the proof that your love is in us and that we love you back. God, how, how better to define our lives by that? No wonder Paul says it's the only thing that counts. So, Father, this morning we, we bow together and we just collectively say that we're not worthy of being loved. We're not worthy of living a life of love or even be used by you in any shape, form, or fashion. But, God, we know we know that you can, and we know that you do. And so with grateful hearts, we say thank you. Father, thanks for loving us when we were most unlovable. Thanks for stepping into our life and saving us. And God, help us live our life in a reflection of that love and not in a reflection of our sinful nature. Father, if there's somebody here this morning that says, I need to get this nailed down, I need to figure out what love is and how God loves me because I don't know that I've ever understood that before. God, today's the day. Somebody needs to join the church or they just need to kind of get somebody to pray with them. God, sometimes that's the most powerful thing that we can do is just pray for each other. Father, somebody needs to come, let them come. This is your moment to work in our hearts. We give it to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you